Great to see you guys today. Before we jump into part two of our continuing series, we've got something real special we want to do today. This is P.D. Blinn. Give it up for P.D., please. His wife and daughter sitting right over here. P.D. has been in our church how, how many years? I didn't even ask in the first service. Ten years? 10, 12 years, something like that. P.D. is on his way to Nicaragua this coming week. He is partnering with North Park Church out of Raleigh, and they're going to be building houses. Uh, this is something North Park does uh, year after year, and P.D.'s partnering with them this year. And in the week they're there, they're going to be finishing three houses. There are some other folks who have gone and kind of started the process. They're going down uh, with the people at North Park, and they're going to finish the three houses, and then they're going to dedicate those houses uh, to the families, and then they've raised enough money to give two months' worth of food for each of the three families. So it's a really incredible uh, outreach that they're doing in Nicaragua, and he's going to be flying down this coming week, spending a week there working and serving. And I just thought, hey, you know what? What a great opportunity for us to come and just pray for him before they head out. As you know, you know, there's always uh, uh, travel expenses and, and the stress of being away from your family and a different country and all the things going on right now, of course, around our world and all that. So we thought, let's just pause. Let's just have prayer for PD, prayer for the team, and send them off, okay? So will you do me a favor and just stand for just a moment? Right before we jump into this message today, you'll be sitting for a little while anyway, and uh, let's pray uh, for PD and for the entire team. Father, thank you for PD. Thank you for his heart, his willingness to go and serve. Father, I ask your blessings upon the entire team as they fly there and serve for an entire week there in Nicaragua. Bless them, help them to do their best, and, and mostly important, the families that they're going to be able to pour into, uh, leave hope in their hearts and encourage them as they not only give them homes that they'll be able to live in safely, but also food. What an incredible opportunity it is for us to go and love people around the world. So bless the team, bless the families there, the pastors there, the organizations who are making this possible, all the people who've given money to make this possible as well. So thank you very much, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, let's give Petey another big hand. You're welcome, buddy. And listen, if you can be seated, if you are interested in knowing more about, you know, going to Nicaragua, maybe next year they'll be going again or, you know, anything like that, uh, PD is more than happy to uh, answer questions for you or uh, help you to kind of get on board for next year or anything like that. It'd be wonderful. All right, let's jump into our current series, Silent Killers. This is part two of our series. You know, if you knew the circumstances surrounding my birth, you would understand why I say one of my heroes is my mother. My birth was difficult for her. She was 19, no education, no experience, no support, no one to guide her through the process. She did the best she could. She made decisions she thought best, always putting me first. Looking back at it now through the lens of a 54-year-old father, grandfather, she must have experienced a load of anxiety along with fear and doubt. My mom and I moved a lot. We struggled a lot. I had several men in my life. I tried to make dad. We never had a lot of money, and because of that, we had few options. Each day was the same for my family. For years, she and my stepdad worked for a little more than minimum wage, came home, ate a simple meal, hopeful they had enough money to pay the bills. We had one car, and for a long time, one black and white TV. Some of you remember that. I was the remote control. Yeah, go change the channel. And I'd walk over there, and I'd flip the channel. My mother tried her best to prevent our circumstances from affecting me, but that's nearly impossible. I'm a resilient kind of guy, but I'm also impressionable. So by the time I was 10, 
I felt behind other people. I knew I was poor and always felt on the outside. No one told me this. My mom loved me every day and did her best to meet my needs. Nevertheless, emotionally, I was lonely and sad. Academically, I was behind. Financially, I was poor. Socially, I was an outsider. That's the way I saw it. The way I perceived my life at that time is that the people around me accommodated me. They accommodated me because they were supposed to, not because they wanted to. And that even included my aunts, my uncles, my cousins. They tolerated me. They felt sorry for me, so they allowed me to tag along. And unfortunately, I picked up a script. I believed a story about myself. No one wrote it for me. Not my mother, not my stepdad. No one sat down and wrote a play out for me and asked me to follow it. But I developed one. Looking back, I believe that I absorbed the story through the environment of my home, through the conversations I overheard my parents have, the problems we faced as a family. Slowly, a story was created for me, one I believed I was destined to follow. You know the theme of the story? You know what the script of my life at that time felt to me to be about? Here it is. I'm an accident. I'm in the way. And I probably won't amount to much. I didn't want that to be true. I wanted to break out. I wanted to live a different story. I dreamed of a different life. I found myself often daydreaming of different places and locations and being successful and accomplishing great things. But every morning when I woke up, I was back in reality. Not a bad reality. Not a reality I hated. But one I wanted to change. I wanted to improve. But how? I was living my story. That was my script. And whether I wanted to or not, I was bound to live it. It didn't matter if anyone taught me these things. It didn't matter if any of them were true. What mattered is I believed it. And it took me a long time, like 20 years and a lot of unlearning, to realize the script given to me, provided for me, the script I was living at its worst was untrue and at its best, was unfinished. It also took me a long time to realize that far below the story, underneath the script I was living, underneath the drama that I considered to be my life, God was writing a different story. One including my story, but a much better story, a more robust story, a more exciting story, a more fulfilling story. And my guess is if we went around this room and I gave you an opportunity to tell me about you and how you grew up and your boyfriends and girlfriends and school and education and husbands and wives and kids and grandparents and all of that, and you told us your story, there's many of you that the story you think you're supposed to live, you're not living. It's a story that your daddy gave you or your mama wrote for you or maybe your ex-spouse forced upon you. Or maybe like me, the one you absorbed through the environment of your home. If you were honest, several of you would admit that you're a character in a story that isn't actually true to who you are. In fact, sometimes you feel as if you're living someone else's script, a story you do not necessarily enjoy, but here you are. Your parents wrote it for you, handed it to you, carelessly said, here, This is who you are, and this is what you're supposed to do or think or feel or accomplish or believe or act. 
So as we move into this message today, I want to ask you a question. What's your story? What's your story? Who, who wrote that story for you? You're in it. You're living it. So who wrote the story for you? Why are you following it? Have you ever taken the time to just step back from your story and say, why am I following it? Am I following it because it's true? Or am I following it because I haven't found a better one? You see, I've learned that until we find a better script, a story worth living for, a story worth dying for, until we find a script we can plunge into and give it our all, we will reluctantly live the one we were given. And for many of us, the script we were given acts like a silent killer in the background of our lives, sucking the energy out of us, killing our futures, destroying our confidence, holding us in bondage, preventing us from accomplishing what we want the most. So here's where we're going today, right? I want to do the best I can over the next few minutes to arouse within you, to agitate you enough that you will step back from your life and ask yourself a few questions or at least get the process started today. I want you to become aware of the story you're living. I want you to ask yourself, what is the story? What is the drama that I find myself in? Who gave this drama to me? Who wrote this script for me? And is this story true? And if it's not true, I want to pray that God will give you the ability to close the book, to quit reading it. And if the story is true and you don't like the story so far, I want to pray that God will give you the insight to see that the story you're living might be true, but it's still unfinished. There's more to come. I want us to look at one of the most well-known figures of the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Moses. If you know anything about the life of Moses, you know that it was quite a drama-packed life. But you might not know a lot about Moses. You can read about his entire story throughout the book of Exodus. Let me give you the cliff notes on it. You'll see how this aligns with our lives, and you'll see yourself hopefully within Moses' story. As most of you know, the Hebrews, the Israelites, were held captive in Egyptian bondage for hundreds of years. Moses was born to a Hebrew slave during the Egyptian captivity. The pharaoh of Egypt feared the multiplying of the Hebrews, and he knew that if he did not prevent their continued growth one day, he might not be able to stop them from arising and taking over the Egyptians. So on his orders, all newborn Hebrew baby boys were to be thrown into the river and drowned. Only the female babies were permitted to live. Moses was born under this rule, but Moses' mother could not throw him into the river as any mother sitting in this place knows. You can imagine the trauma that you would have to endure knowing that you're supposed to, by law, take your newborn baby boy and throw him into the river. So instead, she did what I think most all of us would do. She hid him for as long as she possibly could, but you can only hide a baby for so long. As Moses began to grow, his mother knew eventually she would be caught defying Egypt, and both she and Moses would be killed. So here's what she did. She created a basket, and she lined the basket with tar, and she put Moses inside and strategically placed it among the reeds at the river's bank. She was hopeful someone with love and compassion from Egypt would discover Moses, and instead of killing him, 
take him as their own and protect him. And that's exactly what happened. One of Pharaoh's daughters came down to the river to bathe and discovers Moses inside this basket there among the reeds on the river's bank. So she takes him home and she claims him as her own. Moses grows up among the powerful and the elite Egyptians. He's educated in the ways of Egypt. He learns the culture of Egypt, including the religious, civil, and military culture. He learns to lead like the Egyptians. But Moses is also familiar with his Hebrew ancestry. He knew that he was a Hebrew, so he had compassion and care for those who were the slaves of the Egyptians. So one day, Moses journeys down to where the Hebrews are working and to see how the Egyptian masters were treating the Hebrews, his family heritage. He notices one of the Egyptians beating a Hebrew, probably beating him to death, and Moses could not stand by and allow this to happen and not do something. So Moses looks around to see if anyone is watching, and when he knows that it's safe, he goes and kills the Egyptian and hides him in the sand. The next day, Maybe feeling empowered by his vigilante actions the day before, Moses returns to the Hebrew slaves and notices two Hebrews fighting. He warns them to stop, and one of the Hebrews says, who are you? Who put you in charge of all of us? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? Moses is seized with fear because he thinks if this Hebrew already knows that I killed the Egyptian, it won't be long before Pharaoh hears that I killed an Egyptian as well, and I'll have to answer for it. So Moses flees. And where does Moses go? He goes to Midian, a desolate place. It's here that Moses remains for years. He works, he marries, he makes a life for himself in the desert as a shepherd. Now, before we go any further, I want you to think with me and process with me. At this point, who is Moses? I don't mean who is Moses according to the story, like you know the end of the story and you know what's going to happen. I don't mean that. I don't mean Moses from a narrator's perspective. I don't mean Moses from someone who's reading the story and knowing all the ends. I'm talking about who is Moses from his perspective. He's living the drama. Who is he in his mind, in his heart? Well, we have several puzzle pieces to put together to form who Moses is at this point in his life. Here are just a few of the pieces. One, he was born to a Hebrew slave. What does that equal? That equals poor, powerless, forgotten. He was also supposed to be thrown into the river and drowned. So he was worthless. He may have even suffered survival's guilt. Why did he survive when all those other thousands of Hebrew baby boys were drowned? He was saved by Pharaoh's daughter. That's another piece of the puzzle. So that means he was special. He was unique. Another piece is he was raised under Egyptian favor, so he was blessed, he was competent, he was educated, but he killed an Egyptian. That's another piece, so he's a murderer. He obviously lost his temper so out of control he killed someone. He runs for his life. That's another piece of the puzzle. He is a fugitive. He's hunted. He's unsafe. He settles in the wilderness on the backside of a desert. He's poor again, powerless. He's a mistake. He marries and begins a family. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a provider. Who is Moses? He is all of these things and more. Just like you. You're a mother. You're a father. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a friend. You're a professional. You're a pastor. You're a singer. You're a leader. 
You have good days and you have bad days. You have days when you think you are so close to God. You have days when you wonder, how did you ever get so far away? You have days that you feel successful. You have days you feel like a failure. You have things about your family you're proud of. You have things about your family you're embarrassed of. Some of you came from wonderful homes, solid homes, strong homes, mom and dad still intact, loved you, nurtured you, cared for you. Others of you came from broken homes, broken families, mom and dad divorced, possibly abuse, maybe a strain in the marriage. Maybe you yourself are living in a situation now that makes your life just a fragment. It's just splintered. It's just split. Who are you? All of those things and more. Who is Moses? All of those things and more. And one day, Moses is doing his Moses stuff out on the backside of the desert, Midian, and he notices a bush on fire. When Moses gets close enough to see, he realizes that the bush is not being consumed. And a voice from inside the bush speaks, and Moses gets close enough to listen, and the voice says, take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. And in that moment, I can't help but wonder if Moses thought something like this. Wait, whoa, whoa, holy ground? In the middle of a desert? As I'm running from Pharaoh, hopeful nobody from Egypt will ever find me out here? I, I thought no one cared about me. I thought nobody cared where I was. I thought I was an outcast. I thought I was just a runaway fugitive. And God says, no, Moses, where you are in this arid, dry, barren land is holy. You see, when you get up tomorrow morning and you get in your truck and you get ready to go to work and you think about all the things that you've got to do throughout the day and all the things you've got to do throughout the week and you feel overwhelmed, I want you to know that in that moment on your way to work, you are on holy ground. When you're changing your baby's diaper and you forgot to buy formula and the trash is overflowing and you've got so many chores around the house to do and the dog needs food and you forgot to stop by and get that too and you feel frazzled and you feel anxious and you feel overwhelmed with all the things you must do, you're just in a dry, barren land. No, in that place where you are is holy ground. When you're fighting with your kids and they won't do what you ask them to do and you feel so frustrated and you wonder, how did it ever get this far and why is it that I can't keep my temper under control and why do I elevate my voice and I must be a messed up mom, a messed up dad. In that moment, you are on holy ground, not because you have the answers, not because you've got it figured out. Your story may be upside down. You may have different parts of yourself scattered everywhere and feel as if you're on the backside of a desert. What makes it holy? is that in that place, God is with you. And where he is transforms a dry, arid, sandy place where nobody seems to care where you are. Transforms it into holy ground. So this poor, powerless, at one time nearly drowned, forgotten, murdering husband, father, provider, once educated, blessed, but now a broken down shepherd named Moses on the backside of a desert in Midian where most people in the world have no idea where he is. In that moment, he takes off his sandals and he listens to the voice. 
and the voice reveals itself. I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have heard the cry of my people in Egypt, and I'm going to deliver them from the Egyptian bondage, and I'm going to use you, Moses, to do it. And here's what I want you to catch. From before Moses was born, God was writing a story for Moses bigger than the story lived by Moses. Folks, Moses didn't ask to be born. Moses certainly didn't ask to be born to a Hebrew slave under the tyranny of Egypt. Moses never planned to lose his temper and become a murderer. Moses never planned to eventually flee the only home he ever knew, Egypt, and become a fugitive from the only security he ever experienced, Pharaoh. That wasn't his plan. Moses didn't want a lot of the life he found himself living in the desert. Moses would have written a story for himself much differently, wouldn't you? If someone would have given you a pen when you were just a child and said, write your story, put it together, you can put anything you want and whatever you write will come true, most of you, most of you wouldn't write the story you find yourself in. No, you would have changed this about yourself and that about yourself. You would have written out the character flaws and written out the failure, failed experiences. You would have written off that first marriage, that one boyfriend, that one girlfriend, that first job. You would have said, you know what? I'm going to stay in college and finish my degree. I'm going to start a business and it's going to be successful. You would have given yourself money and power and prestige and fame. You would have written a story for yourself much different than the story you're currently living. So would have Moses. But God was writing a story bigger and greater than Moses could have ever written for himself. The burning bush moment changed everything for Moses. Moses thought his story was one of chaos. A Hebrew slave gives birth to him, places him in a basket, and the daughter of Pharaoh just so happens to find him, and he grows up inside of a palace, the palace of power and prestige, the palace of Egypt. Moses thought it was just unfortunate that he got into a fight and killed a man while trying to defend the Hebrew people. Moses thought it was situational that he ends up on, in the desert, humiliated, broken, and humble. No, 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 no. It wasn't coincidental. It wasn't situational. He didn't just so happen to these things in his life. That's the story that was handed to him. That's the story that he made up in his mind to make sense of all the things he was experiencing. But the entire time, what Moses didn't know is God was writing a different story. You see, if Moses would have written his story and lived the story he wrote, we wouldn't be sitting here thousands of years later talking about Moses. God had a story much bigger than the story he could have ever written. You would have written a different story for your life, but you have no idea why you're living the story you're living and what God is doing with all the unique circumstances in your life. If you pay attention to the life of Moses, up to this point, this burning bush moment, up to this point, he seems to simply be carried along by the current of circumstances. No rhyme, no reason, no direction. His entire life seems as if it's just one of reaction to whatever's happening in his life. This happens and his mother reacts. This happens and Pharaoh's daughter reacts. 
This happens and Moses reacts. This happens and Pharaoh reacts. He finds himself in the desert, a fugitive of Egypt, a murderer on the run, and now a stranger in the foreign land. A story nobody wanted to live. A story Moses could argue was unfair. Why him? His whole life has been up and down, clarity and then confusion. He didn't ask for any of this. He didn't want any of this. But here he is. But God was writing a story larger and more complex and more intricate than he could have ever imagined. A story that involved delivering his people from Egyptian bondage and Moses was going to be the one who would lead the charge. Moses was the one God would use to answer 400 years of prayers. Did you know Moses' name means to draw out. When he was placed in the water and he was drawn out of the water, he was given the name Moses. It means to draw out. And then decades later, what does Moses do? He goes into Egypt and what does he do? He draws out the people from Egypt. Do you think his name was just coincidental or do you think it was always in the story of God? God was writing the story the entire time. Everything that happened in Moses' life, God wove it together to bring him to a place that he was the one that God could use to go in and bring the people out of Egypt. God was writing the story long before Moses ran and ended up in the desert. Moses just didn't know it. Not until the burning bush. God used Moses a man familiar with the ways and the culture and the thinking of Egypt to deliver his people from Egypt. God used an insider, someone who grew up as a child of Pharaoh's daughter, to free his people from Pharaoh. God used Moses, someone uniquely positioned to understand the love of both the Egyptians and the Hebrews to see his people set free. God used Moses, a man broken by his own failures, murdered an Egyptian, ended up a fugitive from the only home he knew, humbled by living within the power and prosperity of Egypt and now scratching and surviving in the desert of Midian to return to Egypt, a changed, humbled, and called man to deliver God's people. It was always planned. Moses didn't know it until the burning bush. There are some of you, you're living a story right now that you don't want to live. Let's just be honest. But here you are living it. Maybe it's a story somebody else wrote for you a long time ago, handed it to you. You picked it up and said, well, I guess this is who I am. I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. And you've been doing the best you can for the last 10 years, 20 years, 40 years to live it out. Maybe it's a story that feels more like a horror story to you. Sickness, death, abuse, divorce. Maybe it's a story that you wrote because you didn't know what else to do. These were the characters in your life. This was a situation. You did the best you could to weave it all together and come up with a drama, and you've been living it out ever since. I have no idea. Like Moses, you were born under a strange circumstance. 
Maybe your parents did the best they could considering all things. Everybody around you merely reacted to what was happening in your life, and your life so far feels like it's just been carried along by the circumstances surrounding you, here and there, up and down, clarity and then confusion, and you're living a story you would prefer not to live, one that makes you feel as if you're on the backside of the desert. Well, from what I see, you only have three responses. The story you find yourself in is true. That's the first response. If it's true and it rings solid, keep living who you are. I think that's awesome. I come across people all the time who happen to be living in a true story, a solid story, their family, their kids, their life, their direction. Awesome. I think it's wonderful. If that's you, my prayer for you is that you will go for it, put everything you've got in it, keep reading the story, keep flipping the chapters, because in the end, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Keep moving forward. Awesome. Others of you, the story you find yourself in is untrue. It rings hollow. Somebody told you you were this. Someone told you you were that. Someone told you you wouldn't amount to much. Someone told you you would never achieve anything great, and that's what you picked up, and that's what you put into your story, and you've been living that, but the whole time you know it's just off somewhere. It's not really who you are. That's not your story. For you, I say close the book. Don't read the next chapter. Pause and say, God, give me a different story. Give me a better story. Birth me over again. Let me go in a different direction. It is not true of who I am. But I think the third response is where most of us find ourselves. The story is true, but it's unfinished. You feel like there's more. You just know down inside that where you are is not all there is to you. This can't be the end. This can't be the final chapter. And my prayer for you, I don't know how, I don't know when, but my prayer for you is that you will have a burning bush experience, a moment when God reveals to you a story he has been writing underneath the story you have been living that is so much bigger than so much greater so much more intricate so much more robust that you finally realize that everything in your life up until this point prepared you for this moment and everything after this point is changing and in the end Everything you experienced, everything you've gone through, the tears, the blood, the sweat, the confusion, the prayers, the pain, the trauma, the hurt, all of it will be worth it in the end. That's my prayer for you. Many years ago, when my kids were little, I was sitting outside waiting to pick up one of them from school. I believe it was Ashlyn, my middle child was singing a few minutes ago. And I would sit outside her school, wait for her to get out, and I'd read and highlight different things in books. And I read a brief story from Tim Elmore, and it stuck with me all these years. This, this is a short story. Let me, let me tell you what he said in his book, I remember. When, his, when Tim's son, Jonathan, was just a little boy, he had a really bad day at school. And when he came home, Tim noticed that 
you know, his mood was down. He didn't seem to have a very good day, and he kind of questioned him a little bit. And, you know, Jonathan, it was a rotten day. It was a terrible day, you know. And well, the evening went on, and when they got time for bed, Tim would always go into Jonathan's room and tuck him in bed and, and talk with him, pray with him, whatever he, it is he did for his little son at night before he went to sleep. And he asked him a little bit more about his day, and he just kind of mumbled that it was a bad day and it was a rotten day. You know how little kids are. So Tim knew he needed to do something, something to help Jonathan see a different perspective. So Tim asked his son to draw a squiggly line on a piece of paper that would represent the way he felt his day had gone. So he gave him a piece of paper and a pencil, and Jonathan took that and he scribbled a line and said, Daddy, this is what my day was like. So Tim took the piece of paper and a pencil and he began to draw shapes onto that line and he began to draw other lines and curves and he wrote across that, all that little squiggly lines that his son had written, he drew a cartoon. He turned that squiggly, messed up, really bad day into something with purpose and fun and joy and turned it around and showed him that when his father got involved, he turned his squiggly lines into a cartoon. Simple little story like that stuck with me all these years. Oh, dare I say this. God is drawing lines and shapes into the squiggly lines of the horrible, rotten, really bad things you've experienced. And one day, it may take a while, but one day, it may take it to the end of this life, but one day, he's going to turn that around and you're going to see purpose. And you're going to see joy and you're going to see fun and you are going to see how God can take all the squiggly, messed up lines of our lives and weave them together into something beautiful. What I want you to get is he is not finished writing your story. We don't have time to go through all the examples of Scripture. There are so many. But just listen to this quickly. I just put these down very quickly. Last week, if you were with us, you remember the story of Legion, the man filled with the demons that I talked to you about out of Mark. If you would have seen him in the moment when his hair was matted and his clothes were off and blood was all over his body and he was howling like an animal, you would have thought, that man is a failure. But you know what? That man's story was unfinished. The very next chapter, it says that he was healed and sitting in his right mind. The woman at the well, five husbands, Confused about religion, if you would have dropped into her story at that moment, you would have said that woman doesn't know how to have relationships, that woman is messed up, that woman is confused, but that woman's story was unfinished. The very next chapter of her life, she is running throughout her town inviting people to come and meet Jesus. The woman caught in the act of adultery, if you would have dropped into that moment and you saw her there and they drug her to the street and they were going to take rocks and kill her for what she had done wrong, you would have judged her guilty. You would have said her life is a mess, but that was not the finished story. The very next chapter, Jesus gets in the dirt with her, forgives her, restores her, doesn't condemn her, and sends on her on the way without all that mess in her life and told her to go and live a new life, one free from all those sins. Lazarus, four days dead if you'd have dropped in on the second day. 
Everybody would have been crying and everybody would have been, our brother's gone, our brother's gone, our brother's gone. But it wasn't the story. That wasn't the end of the story. Jesus shows up, resurrects him, and he's eating salad in the next few hours. This story was unfinished. Zacchaeus, a thief, a manipulator, working for a corrupt government, stealing people's money, manipulating people out of money. If you would have dropped into his story at that time, you would have said he's this, he's that. You would have said he was a terrible man. What happens next? Jesus shows up at his house, turns his life around. He gives back money. He restores what he has stolen from people and lives a life following Jesus. And you, this is not your final chapter. Never judge somebody when the story isn't completed. Never judge somebody based on what you see right now. You're looking at an unfinished story. Don't judge somebody by tearing one page out of that person's life novel. You have no idea what the next chapter in that person's life is like. You have no idea what story God has been writing underneath the story that you are seeing. Well, Scott, are there parts of my story, chapters of my story, that are true and parts of my story that are untrue and parts of my story that are true but unfinished? Yes, we are a complicated bunch, aren't we? All of that's true at the same time. Well, how do I know which ones are which? That's what it means to become mature and to grow up and to become healthy and to become a whole person. See, I want this for you. I want you to get to the place where you look at the chapters of your life, the events of your life, the happenings of your life, and discern, discern, discern which chapters are true, which chapters are false, and which chapters are unfinished. And when you discern which are which, here's what you do. For the parts that are true, keep reading. Keep reading. Rejoice and celebrate. For the parts that are untrue, stop reading. Close the book and move on. Ask God for a completely different story. The one you were given isn't true, and you want to follow what's real. But here's the big one. the ones that are unfinished, trust the author. He's still writing. He's still writing. And if you are a reader, I love to read, and if you're a reader, you know, you know, you can flip the page and everything in the story changes. One character enters the story, everything changes. One event enters the story, everything changes. You can close a chapter with destruction, and by the end of the next chapter, everything's healed and restored. He's still writing your story. You know, as I mentioned, it took me a long time to see the story God was writing for me. A story I fought against for years, a story I resented for years, a story I thought had many wasted chapters. No. Nothing's wasted. Listen to me very carefully. Nothing is wasted. God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes 
trauma. He never wastes disappointments. He will transform. He will heal. He will make new. But he will never waste it. Who I am today is connected to what I experienced yesterday. Compassion, mercy, patience with people, the way I communicate, my commitment to mental health along with spiritual health, all of it came out of my story. If I would have had a pen, I would have changed it. But if I would have changed it, I wouldn't be who I am today. No, my friend, God never wastes a hurt. You just need to get to the next chapter and find out how it all makes sense. Let's pray. Father, we have people gathered in this room, people who came through our first service, people who are watching at home. Oh, their story feels so confused. They still have so many questions about what's going on in their life and why this happened and why that happened and the hurt and the pain. Father, will you lift us up? Would you lift us above the details so we can get a little bit more like your perspective? That we can see that we're just in a particular chapter and a story is filled with ups and downs. A story is filled with clarity and confusion. A story is filled with hurt and rest. A story is filled with disappointment and wonderful surprises. A story is filled with all kinds of things. And we're in a story that you're writing and you're going to weave together our pain and weave together our disappointment and weave together so many things that we wonder about and question. Only you have the ability to do that. But you promise us, you promise us that you will make all things new. All things new. All things means all things. All things work together for good. All things. May we rest in that. May we hope in that. May we find what we need today to keep moving forward and trust the author and finisher of our lives. We ask this in the name that is big enough to incorporate all of our lives, the name of Jesus. Amen. Man, I am reminded every week of why we do this, and it's uh, just things like that that give hope and give encouragement and give life to what, what could be a stressful week for you, what could be... Um, a hard week. You, you could have come in here with a lot of different things. So I'm grateful for, uh, for that message and for Pastor Scott and what he brings to, uh, to us every single week. So uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of Forest Park. Uh, if you're new, we'd love to connect with you. And uh, if you would take a second to fill out a digital connect card, uh, it's very simple. You just go to fplive.org slash connect, um, or you can scan that QR code, take out your phone, um, and that's passing in one of those slides in the um, lobby. So make sure you do that. Also wanted to tell you about two opportunities that you can get involved at Forest Park. First is baptism. That is happening November 12th. fplive.org slash baptism is where you can register uh, if you uh, are thinking about taking your next step in faith. If you want to make a commitment uh, towards church and towards Jesus and 
and, and make that step to say, I'm, I'm all in for, for what uh, God has for me. Baptism is your next step. And you can do that by going to fplive.org slash baptism. We have that after the 11 o'clock service that day. Um, and we'll all gather around as one big church family and, and celebrate you in, in that step of faith. And if you have questions, feel free to find me, find Pastor Scott, or go to that webpage. It has some answers for you as well. So we'd love to partner with you in taking that next step. And also, we'd love to partner with you in the night of worship that's happening, Saturday, November 18th, 7 p.m. Uh, we always love having a night of worship, have one or two a year, and it is going to be a great time to gather. We've got some old songs and new songs that we bring out, and uh, our band really prepares hard for that, so uh, you don't want to miss it. Invite your friends and family. Invite people from other churches, because this is a really encouraging event for them. So, uh, night of worship. And uh, that's all I have. Thank you guys for being here. We love you. We hope you have a great week. Bye. See you.